day of the week when Jesus was raised from the dead, and so the Christians began to celebrate on that Sunday morning. An extension of silence and solitude, I believe, is another S word, and it's a discipline that we need to take seriously. It's Sabbath. God worked. And God rested. You need rest. You need to cease activity. You need to slow down. You need to hear and receive from God. And you need to offer to Him your love and your sacrifice. And I know we can't always get a whole day. But if you can somehow in the midst of your Sabbath, or if it's not a Sabbath, for me a lot of times it's my Monday. Spend extended times of solitude and silence and Scripture. Have a Sabbath. It's a gift. Sometimes I wonder that we're not where we need to be spiritually because we just blow past what God established as what's needed in a human being's life in the way that he created them. Thanks for coming to the gathering of worshipers and seekers of God today for prioritizing a Sabbath to honor the Lord on this day. Jesus says, wherever two or three are gathered in my midst, there I am. The discipline of the Sabbath, not church going. I think church being a part of the community is critical for a Sabbath. and should not be easily dismissed or chucked for many things that we do. Our kids need it. The discipline of running hard, schoolwork even, you working, and then Sabbath. I had some friends from Indiana drop by this week. We went out to lunch. He actually was the owner of one of the largest farm equipment dealerships in the area. And he knew I was down here. He's a solid believer. He actually has a church. I spoke in his church. And he says, I remember driving by those Bowman farm fields. And they'd have all the big equipment on my way to church. Beautiful day. And it was sitting still in the field. My father taught us kids that you cease working on the Sabbath. You keep it honoring to him. Of course, we went to church morning and night, and it was a full day. I just want to extend that to you. I chose not in this series to take a whole day to talk about Sabbath, but I was really tempted. Maybe we'll come back around and talk about it some other time, but shepherding, Scripture, Solitude, silence, with the word Sabbath right in there as well. Lord, we thank you for meeting with us in our time of need. May we discipline ourselves to meet with you. Amen? Amen. Well, thank you. I know you think, well, well that's good. Let's go home. I have another uh, discipline I want to teach you on as we close out this series, and it's the discipline of stewardship. The discipline of stewardship. Friday night, I came uh, to check out the impromptu worship night, but then I forgot that 
we allow our building next door to be used on Friday nights by the NA group, the Narcotics Anonymous group, all right? So those who are challenged with uh, addiction to drugs, whether it's big-time drugs or maybe it's prescription drugs or whatever, and the whole parking lot's full. So I migrate over there, and I start to check it out. And I, friends, I am, like, taken back. And I just want to say, I know we we're talking on stewardship here today, and, and these facilities are quite expensive for us as we looked at it at congregational meeting last week. But, you know, you contribute to being able to have facilities for a group like that to meet. There were people sitting on the floors in the perimeter of the elementary room. It was just packed out. In fact, I went next door to the student room to get some more chairs, and then I counted as I heard different people giving their testimonies and what happens in a, in a recovery group with the 12 steps. And uh, I mean, there were some, some interesting stories that are being shared and people's acknowledgement and some colorful language as well and all that going on. But I'm like, oh, God, this is cool. I got the chairs, and I started counting. There were 120 people packed in to our elementary room. I walk into the back of that room, and I thought to myself, this is where Jesus was. Broken people, desperately needing a lifeline. Yeah, some were probably there to get their cards signed off and do their deal. I understand that. But Jesus came to set captives free. You and I may not be addicted to drugs or pain medications, but I tell you what, we live in a world that's pushing us all the time to be addicted to things. And one of the foremost things that we're being forced to be addicted to is the pursuit of wealth, materialism. We are made to be consumed. And the discipline of stewardship is huge in our life as American seekers of God. And I just want to park there for a little bit. You know, they have been describing a disease. In fact, there's a young teenager that got off uh, from serving jail time because he had a lawyer. Well, they say it really wasn't because the lawyer said this. At least the judge said that. But the lawyer positioned that he was a victim of teenage affluenza. You ever heard of it? And it was he was growing up in a family that was wealthy and privileged and was never taught some of the disciplines. He had three times the alcohol in his body. He slammed into uh, a series of vehicles. A person who was broken down, who SUV needed to be fixed. A friend came with her daughter, and then a youth pastor stopped by, four of them there, and he plowed into them, and all four of them were killed. He recently was found escaping to Mexico, if you know the news, and come back. And then you have to say, well, really? Affluenza? Affluency? Is that a disease? Well, I'm not contributing to that whole debate, but I tell you what. (laughs) There is something about the culture that we live in that presses us in this direction, and one of the key things we can do is to come back biblically and say, Lord, where are you at? Because he talks about money and issues of, of that more than anything. But where I want to go today, and we'll talk about the issues of money and resources, is to understand the concept of stewardship foremost that's much broader than maybe where sometimes it goes in church settings such as this. Stewardship. 
we're going to look at a passage of Scripture. The passage of Scripture is in Genesis 39. 39 tells the story of Joseph in Potiphar's house. When Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelites, traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. The Lord was with Joseph. So he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of the Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar. So he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All his household affairs ran smoothly and his crops and livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing, except what kind of food to eat. Joseph. Joseph, uh, son of Jacob. There were a lot of brothers. Remember them? They were jealous of Joseph, threw him in a pit, left him for dead. He gets picked up, taken to Egypt. And somehow, by God's grace and by Joseph's obedient heart and not reacting that, he was given the opportunity to become a steward, an administrator over all of Potiphar's rulership of belongings and things that were going on. Now, if you know the story of Joseph, and it's interesting, right after this verse, if you continued reading in Genesis 39, he gets in trouble. But he gets in trouble for doing the right thing. You see, he was given all that Potiphar had. But then Potiphar's wife comes to him and tries to seduce him. He says, no way. And he runs and he leaves his cloak behind. She takes the cloak and sort of blackmails him, saying, he came and pursued me. Potiphar kicks him out of the household and Potiphar puts him in jail. In the prison, guess what happens to Joseph in prison? He wins over the warden. And the warden puts him in charge of the whole prison. He gives him the blessing to be a steward in the prison. And finally, Joseph, after many years, he gets the opportunity to interpret the dream of the next leader, one of the next leaders, which was a Pharaoh. And Pharaoh then put Joseph in charge of things. The steward things, because he interpreted the dream, there would be seven years of abundance and then seven years of famine. And lo and behold, Joseph's brothers and his dad, Jacob, ended up in Egypt famished. And he was able to bless them. And he ended up blessing his brothers, even in spite. And I read the verse last night again, and it was very helpful for me, a verse in the context of which it is. That which which you intended for evil, God intended for good, so that these things could come about. But it's just a few chapters there, and you're going, wow, that happened real quick. My life lasts much longer, right? But Joseph, I love Joseph because he's a great example of what you and I need to do with the spiritual discipline of stewardship. We need to have an understanding that we don't own anything and that all that we have is something that we are to steward because we are blessed with it from the hand of God. A steward, I put this definition down, a steward is someone who manages what someone else owns. He is not the owner, but one to whom or in whose hands the owner has committed his goods. Psalm 24, 1 says this, 
The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its peoples belong to him. For he laid the earth's foundations on the seas and built it on the ocean's depths. I've got a problem. I've got an addiction. I've got an addiction to things. I've got an addiction to be possessive. I got an addiction all the way back to when I was a toddler. Mine! 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 How about you? But I have to turn it around and remember, not mine, it's his. It's his. I am a steward of all that he has. And stewardship doesn't just relate to material things. I want to give uh, some highlights of some others. First of all, Scripture will teach you this. The practice of stewardship involves the way we speak of Jesus Christ and our faith in this world. I am a steward of the good news. Mark was the first gospel written. And if you're to turn and to open to the first part of Mark, it just says simply straightforward. Here begins the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And then it starts talking about the book of Isaiah and how all this story. I am a steward of the big story. But it's not just a story. It's reality. It's truth. What God's doing in this universe. We talk about it often. The epic. And I am here alive in 2016 to steward the good news of Jesus Christ and the faith to the world that I'm in. And I steward that not just in my speech, but in how I live and how I act towards one another. So a stewardship involves the practice of the way we speak of Jesus and our faith in the world. Another is the way we devote our time and energy and daily life to God by serving and loving others. This goes back to the shepherding discipline. Being able to care, getting out of yourself, helping encourage one another, taking on someone else's burdens, praying about them, right? I would encourage you that you are given the opportunity the other six days of this week before your next Sabbath to be able to steward time and energy every day to love and to care for people. How are you doing with that stewardship aspect that goes on? And another stewardship thing, and I'll maybe find this Um, maybe you're glad to see this, maybe this is like, oh, really? Uh, Is the way we care for the earth and our environment. I am not, you know, going to initiate some big debate about climate change and all that kind of deal. But I tell you with this, growing up in agrarian culture, I understood the stewardship of soil conservation and being able to do things right and taking care of stuff, right? You can expand that. When Jesus left behind Adam and Eve, he said, rule, subdue, and have dominion over the earth. There's something to be said about being able to be a steward of even the earth and the environment. All right? But where your mind usually goes with stewardship is this next point, and that's that stewardship involves the way we manage our belongings and financial resources. I want you to watch this video, and then we're going to step in to talking specifically about stewardship as it relates to that last point. There are 10 million millionaires in the world. Five million of them live in the United States. At least 80% of humanity lives on less than $10 a day. And the rest of us find ourselves somewhere in the middle. And people routinely list money issues as a primary concern and a massive stress inducer in their lives. We're skeptical about organizations that ask for our money. We're nervous about not being able to have stuff when we really want it. And we believe wholeheartedly in allowing ourselves and our kids to live like everyone else. But here's the latest on everyone else. 
The most, the most conservative, conservative estimates regarding the average credit card debt for household is, this is not including car loans and school loans, $14,743. And in all the 609.8 million credit cards held by U.S. consumers, the total U.S. consumer debt is $2.43 trillion. It doesn't take long for us to begin wondering about whether we own our stuff or our stuff, or more accurately, our creditors own us. Eventually, we come to the conclusion that money isn't a money issue. It's a hard issue. Suddenly, we find ourselves in a situation in which our lives are owned by a credit card company. All of our stuff, all of those things filling our garage, begin to cause in us a kind of captivity we never imagined. We want to get a handle on our financial situation and create a legacy for our own kids so they avoid some of our same pitfalls. But that's just us, right? Our assumption is that people who have a lot of money don't really worry all that much about it. But even the wealthiest among us worry about money. Forbes recently published that over 60% of people whose worth is valued at over $5 million worry about money, particularly about teaching their kids how to manage it. It would be safe to say that people are concerned about managing their money in the present and securing their financial legacy for the future. For all of us, we'll need to learn the timeless Bible-based notion of honoring God first with all that we have, becoming the generous people we hope to become, and that somewhere in the redirection of our hearts, we'll find the freedom we hope. For some of us, we'll want to know how to manage our wealth, providing for our families, and learning how to join God in His work now. So, what do we do? There are 10 million. So, what do we do? That's a good question. I'm going to give you. Another discipline begins with an S. Aren't you excited they all fit together? (laughs) That's the discipline of simplicity. So I think that's where we begin. What do we do? Simplicity is an ongoing exercise of the mind and heart that prevents me from getting caught up in the things of the world. It is an inward reality that presents itself in an outward lifestyle. It's an inward reality that presents itself as an outward lifestyle. The Apostle Paul, and man, he got around a lot with his travels. I like this verse in Philippians 4:11. It says this. He says, I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. I'll almost give a word of testimony this morning. How many of you can identify with that verse? I've learned to live with plenty and I've learned to live with little. You there? You have seasons where you're like, hey, we're selling pretty smooth right now. And then all of a sudden, oh, what happened there, right? I still experience it here with the whole what happened with the housing market in 08 in this valley. It's like, whoa, things changed to turn in my life there, right? But we will always have the seasons of the highs and the lows, I believe. The Apostle Paul says, I have learned to be content with whatever I have. That is so hard, Paul. Why'd you put that in the scriptures? Because he was human, just like us. 
there is a tendency for us to think that more will fill some kind of need. But that's not true. And even when you do have more, then you have other worries, as was mentioned on the video. So we need to come and look at a discipline in our life that needs to be practiced. And I like how the definition there works. It's an exercise of the mind and the heart. It has to happen internally, but then it begins to extend itself into a lifestyle. I am not here today to berate or to uh, scold or to hold tightly accountable anybody. But I do believe the Spirit of God wants to set you free from some bondage. And that bondage is something that grips us. And I believe that he can inspire and encourage you in the trajectory of how you're living your life as it relates to resources and finances and material things. Because, to be honest, God blesses us. He does. He blesses us in our work. He blesses us in monetary means. He blesses us with plenty sometimes. And he he calls us and encourages us to, to carve out some of those resources to be able to enjoy, to celebrate, to be able to help others. God is not against money. Scripture doesn't say money is evil. Scripture says what? The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And money represents that consumerism more. All right? And you just got to step back and say, oh, man, that's right. I'm a steward. I don't own a thing. The earth is the Lord's and all that's in it. And I am called in these days to take care of what he has given and gifted us. And our minds then begin to turn, begin to turn away from self-centeredness to a God-centeredness. But we are up against a fight in our world. Richard Foster, who writes on the disciplines, he says this, quote, The lust for affluence in contemporary society is psychotic. It is psychotic because it has completely lost touch with reality. We crave things we neither need nor enjoy. We buy things we do not want to impress people we do not like. Conformity to a sick society is to be sick. So I'm going to just list seven things as it relates to simplicity. And I know that these are action things, but they have to start with the heart. And I'll just list them off and we'll just walk through them pretty quick. The first is buy things for their usefulness rather than their status. Buy things for their usefulness rather than for their status. Second is get rid of things which you no longer use or need. Are you good with a purging kind of thing in your Purge, right? My brother recently told me, and they do construction and stuff, says we take all of our lumber back to Lowe's when we're done that we didn't use anymore. We're just done storing things. Three, resist being propagandized by advertising and social trends. Do you have that challenge? Yeah. (laughs) You're going to see some great commercials today. You really are on Super Bowl Sunday. You're going to be propagandized and advertised that. You will be targeted as a consumer, right? You know, as it reminds me, maybe you heard me say this before, I remember raising my kids on those Saturday morning uh, uh, um, uh, comic things, and and, uh, they would put the right kind of ad for a little kid on there. And you're thinking, like, that is the best, coolest little thing. I really need that, Right? And my kid, I'm sitting there watching, my kid would say to me, Dad, Daddy, 
I need that. I need that. And I'm going, what? I say, you don't need that. You want that. Let's decide what the difference is, right? And I think we still need to do that as adults. I don't need that. That is a pretty looking car. I like that car. There's nothing wrong with people having that car. But I don't need that. I want that, right? You're dialing into it. Number four, avoid purchasing items or experiences you don't need. I, 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 I caved. I've been an Android man. The rest of my family was an iPhone family. They finally said, Dad, you, we were literally sitting in a room all on our phones, and somebody sent out a family text. You know, it was really sick. But, you know, <laughs> it was Christmas or whatever. Somebody sent a picture around. And my phone got it like, I think, two minutes after everybody else. <laughs> my phone dies in an hour, you know, after it's fully charged, all that kind of stuff. So finally I did it. But one of my resisting of the whole iPhone thing is I don't like how they've marketed the rest of my family. Because your thinking is, I need the new iPhone, right? I'm like, why do you need the new iPhone? That iPhone works. That's the same thing. Now, if you get the new iPhone, that's cool. And the one I got was the new iPhone. So, so I don't know. Just slow it down, realizing, do I need it or do I not? Number five, learn to enjoy things that you don't own. All right? I mean, I, my house I built... Before I moved here, I put in a 240, and I was waiting for the right time in my life when we saved whatever to get a hot tub. You know that outlet is still sitting on the back of my house in Indiana? So I decided that I am just going to enjoy what the rest of you own. So if you'd like to invite me over to your hot tub, I'll just enjoy what you own. I don't have to buy a hot tub, right? Now, maybe a hot tubs, it may be something like just go and enjoy the park. I want some acreage. Well, here's some acreage. Go and enjoy the acreage, right? So learn to enjoy things that you don't own. And it may be different places you can go to for solitude or to get away, the beach. I mean, there's all kinds. You won't believe this. Two years I've been here, right? I finally got up in the mountains for the first time this week. Drove up to Running Springs, which is, I guess, between Big Bear and, and Arrowhead or whatever. And I'm like. That was pretty cool. I walked in snow this week, and then I left the snow. It was so cool. I left it in the mountains, right? I can enjoy that because God's given it to us, right? But I don't need everything. I think I might need that other people have been given permission or blessed to have. Number six, minimize attractions or activities that produce an addiction. Number seven, keep Christ and his kingdom as the central priority of life. In 1 Chronicles 29, they were receiving resources to be able to um, serve God and build the temple. It says this, 1 Chronicles 29:13, Oh, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we could give anything to you? Everything we have has come from you. And we give you only what you first gave us. Simplicity is an underdiscipline of stewardship. I believe in many ways there's not a person in this room that says, I would not like to be able to give more back to God, be able to bless other people, to be able to send more missionaries, whatever it may be. But the resources that we lack sometimes come because we're in a time of little. 
But sometimes it comes because we've not practiced a discipline of simplicity in our life. Simplicity that can open us up then, that we can be greater givers. Because one of the foremost disciplines to come back to this whole issue of stewardship is that when you choose to give to God the first fruits, you are establishing not only an act of worship, but you are putting the dagger in the heart of the tyrant of materialism. And you have to choose stewardship. When we talk about giving around here, we've framed it always in uh, three things since I've been a part of stuff. And I'd just like to walk through those again as we close. Because I want to challenge you in the area of giving. That, you know, it's this lifestyle of simplicity combined with being able to give to God generously. I think that walks us out of some of the bondage of affluence. All right? The first is priority giving. Place giving as an act of worship before other responsibilities. The scriptures teach this. We've dived into it before. No time to do it today. But you just say up front, scripture's adamant that you give of the first fruits. I was almost going to take a dollar bill today, and then I thought, maybe I'll take a 20. Maybe I'll take a 100. It'll all freak you out a little bit. But take it and just take scissors and start snipping off parts of the dollar or the 100. You know, I was thinking, like, what big of a bill does it need to be to get us a little queasy? Just start just a dollar, right? <laughs> Thank you, Diane. You start snipping that dollar bill, right? Take home and then maybe do it. And you go and you get all the way at the end and you still maybe got some other bills or things you're thinking about playing. But it's then it's like, oh, it's gone. It's just gone. There's no more left. I think God thinks of that. You have to establish giving as the priority. All right? On the first day of the week, however God leads you to do it, maybe it's another kind of routine, that out of the first fruits, the first part, priority giving, I give to God and I say to God, this is not mine. This is yours. Priority giving. So practice that discipline on a regular basis. In fact, that's why in your uh, seat backs, I think some of them, maybe not all of them have it today, is an envelope. And that envelope is there for a purpose. It doesn't say, the church needs your money. The church needs your money. No. We do have responsibilities. In fact, if you want a budget, we passed a budget out here uh, Sunday night for congregational meeting. You pick one up on the way out by the kiosk. But the envelope is there in many ways to say the priority giving. And even on there, we make it easy to say, just text. You got your phone. I know you don't have a checkbook. You text. Text the word awakening. To seven seven nine seven seven, seven seven nine seven seven. That's pretty easy to remember, and it'll help you give electronically, mobily, because that's the world that we live in. And part of it's like the, the church needs your money. No, you're a steward. Where's the priority giving? Is it there? Is it true? Is it a part of your life? Make sure that you place giving as an act of worship before all the other responsibilities. Secondly, is percentage giving. You know the word tithe. Tithe means 10, 10%. It's the historical biblical standard of giving. When Jesus came on the scene, he didn't abolish the tithe. He actually went way beyond it. We've talked about that before. But think in terms of percentage. Not like, hey, I'll tip God this little bit amount today. Or the pastor did pretty good today. I'll just put it in there. No, don't do that. Scripture teaches. The 10% is a starting point and going from there. 
And sometimes you just have to jump and do it. I was actually watching a video from Running Springs because that's where the students are going to go. They're going to go up there uh, to Snow Valley, I think, here next week. And some people were jumping off an 80-foot cliff into this pool of water. And I'm saying, that's nuts. But I'm thinking, you know, there's times in my life that I have to do that emotionally with things. And I think tithing is one of those things. Just jump. Just jump. Take the initiative. And then the third is progressive giving. Pursue a lifestyle. What kind of lifestyle? A lifestyle of simplicity. Enabling an increased percentage amount to God's mission over the course of time. And again, all of this giving aspect, as it relates to stewardship, is to be inspired. It's not to be demanded. That's why, and we'll close with this verse, 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says this, Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. There's a song we're going to close with. But when I walked into the back of that N.A. room, I tell you what, I may as be a preacher in me or whatever, I was so much wanting to, like, go up front. And I know they talk about God and spiritual things, but I wanted to let them know how much Jesus himself came to set them free. Well, I couldn't walk in front of the N.A. group on Friday night, but I stand in front of you opportunity and accountability wise Jesus came to set you free in the area of your finances resources and all that you're called to steward for him you ask of him and he will help you if you're at that place in life where you're really challenged and struggling a little bit I have copies of this book. It's probably one of the best books called The Treasure Principle, Unlocking the Secret of Joyful Giving. If you promise me that you'll read this, that you don't have a copy, and, and, and you really seek God about it, pick one up on the way out. I think we have maybe about 12 of them. But I want us to be believers and followers of Jesus that are freed, that know him. And one of the ways we know him is to serve him and to steward well what he has given So we've talked about these disciplines, shepherding, scripture, solitude, silence, Sabbath, stewardship, and simplicity. Remember those S words. We may circle back around to talk about some more disciplines in the future. But these are calisthenics. They're things we incorporate in our life to be able to train ourselves into godliness. We trust Christ in his finished work of salvation and his righteousness that lives in us. But then we live out that life training after Christ-likeness and godliness. The usher is going to come to receive the Lord's tithes and his offerings. And we don't take an offering. We receive what's of his. And uh, if you feel led to give, great. If you don't feel led to give, great. It is never a leader's responsibility to hold anything over anyone. It's by encouragement, not by demand. But I tell you what, the Lord loves a cheerful giver. Give generously out of your heart as we love and serve him. And we steward all he's given to us to do his mission. And uh, if you're new... We didn't get a chance to tell you. We're glad you're here. There's a connection card. We'd love to know a little bit more about you. You can throw that connection card in the offering basket as well. Joe, lead us. Let's close with the song.